killers, murderers, decoding the crime verse. 911, Welcome to Decoding the Crime Verse. I am Nolzi Lee. And I am Danny. And today we are going down under. If you don't know where down under is, well, actually, it's the place you. where you think you won't find crime. <laughs> Honestly, like, like you expect what to find there? sweet people and kangaroos and koala bears what? and all funny snakes and spiders. <gasps> oh, spiders in your shoe! Oh, no, this and there's raining spiders. And do you know this? So we know someone. So in the attic, there's a snake living, <gasps> but because it's endangered, they can't have the snake removed because <gasps> it's this type of snake apparently that it will always come back to the place it's made its nest. So no matter how many times you remove it, it will come back. I'm so they moving. have to leave. I'm no. sorry. I'm I will moving. leave the Is country. It I don't know. But I would leave. Uh, why would you leave? what? I would kill it. You can't. <laughs> you will get care. arrested. It's a crime. Excuse boys. Yes. Yes. I'd kill it as well. I'm sorry. Uh, I'd kill it. I'll be like, oh, the knife fell. Wait, the did the person <laughs> report themselves like there's an endangered snake in my house? Yeah. Ah, that's stupid. Yeah. Kill it and just throw it away. Then they'll find the endangered body. Ah, you burn and it. now it's extinct. Why, why, why are we leaving evidence? Burn it. Burn the snake. Okay, but today we're going to dive into the underworld of the Australian mob. As we look at two of the most notorious gangsters to ever walk their streets. I did not know Australia had a mafia. This is bad. Like, who knew? So, for me, mafia should stay in America with the Italians. I agree. The mafia is like, is, okay, maybe not the mafia. Keep it the mob. But the like, mob. the mafia, I also always think like New York. Yeah. America. Like, even when we hear that we have mafia here, I'm like, please go back to New York. Yeah, but I'm sorry. I didn't know Australia had. So, yeah. this is the story of Christopher Dale Flannery, a.k.a. Mr. Rent-A-Kill. I think that's the <laughs> coolest thing on the planet. And Alfonso Gangitano. Oh, they are Italian. Mm. You see. Okay. So, he was also known as the Black Prince of Lagoon Street. I love it when they have cool names. There are two, they were two flashy sociopaths linked by a love of crime and power and the convenient death of a witness. Right. So, they shared a callous indifference for human life with each man building a brand around their notoriety for violence. (laughs) We're going with it. Ultimately, they stepped beyond the norms of the criminal world as they became liabilities for their gangster mates and could no longer be ignored. So, they don't have a very great ending, but let's dive into the beginning of their lives. So, we have Flannery. He was born in 1948 in the working class suburb of Brunswick, Melbourne. His alcoholic and abusive father deserted the family home when he was nine years old. By age 14, he was regularly in trouble with the law and was sent to Morningstar, which was a juvenile detention center run by the Franciscan monks who used corporal punishment to keep their charges in line. Flannery remained defiant and the thrashings became part of life. In Morningstar, the brutality was deliberate and an organized attempt to break 
resistance. That's crazy. I was, while doing the research, it, he actually had a crucifix tattooed over his chest because he thought that if they saw it, they would stop hitting him and they hit him more because they're angry. <laughs> like, did he not see that they whipped Jesus himself? Yeah, well, I don't know. I don't know. It was one of those situations where if you didn't knuckle down, the guy or the guys who were nominated by the fries would flog you to the brink of your life. That's crazy. And they were normally five or six years older than you. At age 19, Flannery was then sent to Pentridge Prison for a, a string of violent offenses, including rape. Again, he refused to submit to the rules and was transferred to H Division, which was a section of the jail designed to break the will of even the hardest core criminals. The guards who ran H Division subjected the inmates to the worst kind of physical and mental brutality. Listen, they have it rough in Australia. I'm not gonna lie. They really do. Like, I'm like, what the hell? In my mind, I'm like, what country are we? What jails are these? I'm sorry, like, uh, are these Australians doing this? <laughs> the monks are beating the kids, and the prison guards are beating the inmates. It's Wait, really how are the bad beating the kids within an inch of their life? Like, is this okay? Uh, First of all, why are the monks beating anyone? That's why the monks in Australia. <laughs> like, this is a weird but, place. But monks are basically the nuns, the male version of nuns for Christianity. But aren't they we, like not the talk, Buddhist? Nuns? No, there's two. Oh. So we're talking about the Christian My ones. I was like, what is Australia coming to? <laughs> no. Okay. So the, the the Buddhist ones wear the orange. Yes. And the I was thinking of yes, those. Yes. The the Christian ones wear brown, okay. and they shave their hair funny. They like shave just this part, and then the hair grows here. You guys can't see what I'm doing, but no, Lean. <laughs> they shave the center and they leave everything. Have you never seen that before? No. Let me show you a picture. Sorry, guys, this is an ad break for Friar Monks. <laughs> monks. In my mind, I was like, how did the monks get to Australia? Why are people violent what? in no. the jails of Australia? No. But, but, um, Australia is very close to Asia. It is. So, they could have. No, but this is crazy, man. There's mob, there's monks. There's, this story has everything. See, they used to shave their heads like that. You can Google your own picture at home, but... That is ridiculous. It's weird, eh? That it's is so ridiculous. Weird. Maybe it's to make sure no girls fall for them. Yeah, no. they're not supposed to get <laughs> solid. Nobody's <laughs> falling for you. So Flannery continued to defy authorities by stripping naked and going on hunger strikes. Because you know, why not? His brother was a respected lawyer and he actually alerted the media for to the torturous conditions within H Division and the publicity actually helped bring a formal inquiry. Nothing much changed after the inquiry, but the office, the most sadistic prison officers actually then retired. Years of systematic cruelty and abuse created the monster that defined Flannery's psyche. That's crazy. Right. In 1972, Flannery was released four years early. Now, while sociopath Christopher Dale Flannery was doing time in Pentridge Prison, we are going, there was a little boy named Alfonso John Gangitano, and he was watching Al Capone movies and dreaming of becoming a gangster. So, Because you guys want to make Alfonso movies, isn't it? That's yeah. your problem. <laughs> Don't make movies to make us aspire to be criminals. Okay, yeah. sorry. 
He used to knock around with a lot of thugs and they'd help him out, but he could fight a bit himself. He attracted police attention as he ran with a gang of thugs, bashing people in the streets as he sought to establish turf, as most gangsters do. He sets out to attract the attention of of, uh, Melbourne's most notorious criminals. Alfonso pursued his gangster status by targeting off-duty cops and then give them a fearful beating that would often land them in hospital for two to three months, even sometimes worse. While Alfonso beat up police, Flannery was on the run from them for (laughs) armed robbery in Victoria. He went to Perth. We actually got his first job and only proper, well, regular job working at the men's department in David Jones, but it wasn't long because he then robbed the place at gunpoint. (sighs) Yeah. He was eventually caught by the police and sent to jail for another three years. Man's just lived there, if I'm being honest with you. When Flannery was released from prison, this time he and Alfonso would cross paths. Chris Flannery and Alfonso Gangitano would meet fresh out of jail with limited job options. Flannery accepted that the uh, work of a bouncer for a disco because we're in the 70s. Yeah. So I was thinking disco fam. <laughs> what is this? To, the to this point, Flannery had been a dismissal failure as a crook. So he decided, you know what? I keep getting caught. <laughs> Let me kill people instead. <laughs> <laughs> and this is where he started his murder business uh. called Rent a Kill. Where for $50,000, he would knock someone off the planet for you. That is crazy. Mm. 50,000 for a human life. Yeah. I guess like he had targets like this month I want to kill 30 people so I can make something. Yeah, I need to What is Listen. What though. is 30 times 50,000? Uh I can do it but like 150,000. Is it? Yeah. Listen, 50,000 alone. No, it's 1.5 million, isn't it? Uh-uh. Cuz you add a zero. No, what are you talking about? I'm lying. 50,000 times. We are calculating 30. Guys, my brain is not doing the mathematics. 1,000. 1.5 million, sorry. Yes. So, my target this month is to kill 30 people. That's crazy. But even though 50 grand at that time was also a lot. Just by itself. Okay, I'm thinking about it now. Do you get what I'm saying? But 50 grand is still a lot now. Okay, no, 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 it was. On February 1st, 1980, solicitor Roger Wilson disappeared. He dabbled in some business deals with the wrong sort of investors. And when they didn't get their money, they put a contract out on him. And who better for the job than rent a kill? And even though the homicide squad was informed of the hit, they didn't do anything about it as they didn't have a body. That is so crazy. Okay. Flannery and an accomplice kidnapped Roger Wilson as he left his business, handcuffed him, put him in a car, drove him to a remote location and killed him and then buried his body. His body has actually never been found. Flannery and his accomplices would then be in the clear. At this time, Gantano was now 22 and integrating himself into the criminal world and he admired Flannery. Flannery then used this to his advantage and gave Gangitano a job. He made Gangitano go and dig up the body of Wilson and have it reburied. Why? I guess that's like initiation. Yeah. Yeah. 
Wilson, again, Wilson's body was never found, but the police believe that they had enough evidence to prosecute the case. Prosecute. The case rested on the testimony of Deborah Boundy, who had overheard Flannery and her boyfriend, Kevin Williams, describing Wilson's murder in detail. Flannery wanted her out the picture, and she was later found dead from a heroin overdose. Of course she was. Of course. Without a witness, the case collapsed, and Flannery walked free from court, and Gangitano was now a man to be reckoned with. Minutes after walking free, however, he was arrested and extradited to New South Wales to face another murder charge. A Sydney brothel owner had turned up dead, and Flannery was the prime suspect. Flannery was acquitted of this murder, but remained in Sydney. And this is when a bunch of mayhem started up, and he relocated and started his rent-a-kill business there and was on the hunt for work. He accepted a contract to hit a big drug dealer named Terence Basham and his partner, Susan Smith, was the most heinous was his most heinous and callous crime. 39-year-old Terrence Basham and, 30-year-old, and his 30-year-old wife, Susan, were in the lounge room of their home when someone came through the back door and shot them both at point-blank range through their head and their body. Their two-year-old daughter, Sarah, was left unharmed and the distraught toddler was found hugging her parents' lifeless bodies. <gasps> that is disgusting! Yeah. Why didn't they take her? Not, like, take her out, but, like, why didn't they, like... Take her. So now I must deal with a toddler. Okay, not like... You can drop her off at like a... Mm, that's trails now. Exactly. Shine, yeah. you mo- Okay. Flannery... Well, at least he didn't kill her. Yeah. Flannery would also brag amongst other people of his crimes that he'd been involved with. Him being a homicidal maniac that he was could not be trusted by anyone as he had no loyalty to any individual or crime group. So it wasn't like he was part of this crime family or that crime family and this made him a problem. When Flannery attempted to murder a policeman, the shooting sent a shockwave through the underworld. Cops were off limits and Rent-A-Kill had really crossed a line and his gangster mates knew something had to be done. By this stage, Gangitano's sense of self-importance had rapidly inflated as he felt invincible. I heard there was a story about how he, if you drove, if he saw you in a nice car, he'd walk up to the car and be like, do you know who I am? I'm Gangitano. Give me the keys. And he would drive off and no one would ever report it. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't either. I'd be like, please take me with you. <laughs> but he had a crippling gambling addiction and mounting debt. And he believed he could make some serious coins through boxing. He discovered an up-and-coming fighter named Lester Ellis and believed he could be a world champion. And he met this man through a man named Barry Michael. Yeah. Ellis had an incredible rise, winning his first world championship at age 19. A year later, Alfonso bet heavy on Ellis on a fight against one of Michael's other fighters. But unfortunately, he lost and Alfonso lost a lot of money. He then sought retribution, and with the help of his cronies, he attacked Barry Michael in a nightclub. Again, another example of Gangitano's capacity for violence, a trait that would ultimately result in his own death. Chris Chris Flannery had also publicly stated that if anyone snitched on him, he was going to roll over and tell the truth on everyone, and there were some significant 
organized crime figures that couldn't then guarantee their own safety. So in their mind, he had outlived his usefulness. Yeah. Christopher Flannery's house was found riddled with bullets. 30 shafts were fired. Only two found their targets with bullets narrowly missing his wife and daughter. But Flannery suffered wounds to the hand and his ear. The hitman was now a target and turned to drugs to stay on high alert. He'd been on cocaine most of his adult life, but in the last three months of his life, he was taking between 10 to 20 times a day. That's crazy. One day, Flannery just disappeared and was never seen from or heard from again. His wife stated that she knew he was dead and that it was never confirmed, but they believed George Freeman, a high-up gangster at the time, put the hit out on Flannery. Again, his body has never been found, but the reign of Rentakill had certainly come to an end. How do they put a hit out on someone who's the hitman? That's a very good point. It's, but that's the same thing, because Bugsy Siegel was in Murder, Inc., and then oh, yes, he was yeah. killed. I suppose, listen, no one's safe at the end of the day. Yeah, but he got stupid. Yeah, he did. He got cocky. Yeah. He got this whole point of, and I think his mistake was acting too independent. Yeah. Like, don't take my advice but if you're going to be in the underworld i do think there is an importance to being like in allegiance with a family yeah. do you get what i'm saying because yeah. then you get the protection but having this whole cockiness oh i will just turn over everyone you're dumb yeah but also like then he'd have someone in authority over him to say yeah. no dude you're overstepping yeah, like, yeah. What are you doing? i think he needed it i think he was he ran too wild by himself yeah on May 9th, 1985, 10 years later, Alfonso Gangitano found himself heading down the same slippery slope. Like Flannery, he habitually used cocaine, and while Alfonso dabbled in the trade, he was more of a consumer than a supplier and soon suffered from a drug-induced paranoia. On December 19th, 1995, he and his mate, Jason Moran, were attempting to extort money from this, a sports bar nightclub in Melbourne when Gangitano snapped and then started using pool cues and metal bars to bash some of the club's patrons. In January 1998, he actually appeared in court for several charges, but he was granted bail with of a hundred, sorry, ten thousand dollars, with a night curfew and an order to seek psychiatric treatment. However, this is when rumors circulated through the underworld that Alfonso would, was going to plead guilty, and this would mean trouble for Jason Moran, who was facing serious jail time. Yeah. He should have learned from Flannery's mistake of threatening to turn on your mate. Yeah. Seldom works out well. He was even warned by Brian Murphy, but didn't believe his buddies would hurt him. Gandhi Tanner was gunned down in his home. His wife found him lying in a pool of his blood in the laundry in his underpants. He'd been shot three times in the head and the body. His killer has never been found. It was obviously hardly a glorious ending to the gangster that he liked to have been known as. No one was ever charged with the murder. And there was actually a saying in the Melbourne underworld that said, we catch and kill our own. (laughs) <laughs> Flannery and Gangitano should have faced justice for their crimes, but instead they faced judgment of faced the judgment of their criminal peers, and the sentence could only ever have been death. Their departure restored balance in the criminal networks, but it obviously would not last. Few but their families and a handful of friends actually mourned their loss. So they both got cocky. Yeah. And then they both died. But I think 
Alfonso was, I think the paranoia was a problem. Like, I think he was losing it a bit. Yeah. I think Flannery needed someone to hold his leash. Yeah. And I think Alfonso just, yeah, he was... He, he was needed. also young. I mean, so he was... He joined in I his don't 20s. actually... Yeah, I don't know when he died. Let me get his death date. Shame. These two. I feel like they had the perfect name. Uh, and then it all went south. south 1998. And he was born in 57. 41. Okay, no, he wasn't young. Yeah, but 41 is still not okay. 85. Yeah, it's not, I suppose. Let me get Flannery. He disappeared at age 37. So they were both young. Yeah. I'm sorry. This does not look like a hitman. That looks like a country singer. He, he looks like Bob Dalvaud. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess what does a hitman look like? He, This guy looks more like a mobster. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. But I suppose for Flannery, that then... I mean, it's unexpected when man shoots you. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, what? Bob! I'm not Bob! Check. So, that is the, well, two of Australia's grotesque, notorious underworld mobsters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Running out of adjectives. Uh, I actually really, you know what? I really didn't know that there was this in Australia. Me too. I mean, there were monks. I, I'm still picturing the ones with the orange, okay? Bear with me. <laughs> there were monks. These dangerous prisons. And, and there's the mafia. My favorite part, the part that caught my attention when I, well, why I chose the topic was the rent kill Just because, I mean, it like, reminds me of like a murder ink type of vibes. And I'm like a sucker for that. Although... Please understand my heart, not my words. I'm not going to go kill people now. But yeah. I think that is such a cool concept. <laughs> and such a cool little name. Dial up Rentagill if you want your neighbor. Has your neighbor been bugging you? Dial Rentagill. Okay, well, they are dead. So just know that your neighbor will bug you for the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, 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 okay, well, I'm not even going to complain. I love mobster-related things, so... I enjoyed this. Yeah. But I suppose we will see you next time. But from now until next time, no mourners, no funerals. At FM, radio has never, ever been better. Haven't you heard? It's the Netflix of radio.